we started, I guess, going through the inventory of those things that are in our spiritual bank account in Christ. And that basic idea came out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, where it tells us that God our Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And from that statement, he begins this song of praise as he begins to walk through multiple items that are found in our spiritual bank account. He uses these financially descriptive phrases like the riches of God found in verse number 7, our inheritance in verses 11 and 14, as well as riches found over in verse number 18 in order to speak of this inheritance that we have in Christ. Now, these financial words or phrases would be sure to capture the attention of his original audience right there in Ephesus. The reason for that is because Ephesus was considered to be the bank of Asia. Now, I've already shared in a previous message that Ephesus was the home of the great temple for Diana, but also not only was that temple associated with pagan worship, but it was also a depository for great wealth. So later in chapter number two, Paul describes how believers are God's temple and together we make up the body of Christ. So the comparisons would be very clear for that original audience. Just as the pagans held their physical wealth in a temple that sanctions sin, Christians hold their spiritual wealth in a temple that is set apart for holiness, meaning within themselves. So God has blessed us, according to the text, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You and I, as followers of Christ, we are not waiting on a second blessing. We are not waiting to catch a third wave. We are not waiting for a fourth installment somewhere along the way, but rather as believers and followers of Christ, he has blessed us, past tense, with every spiritual blessing, not just some, not just a, a dab will do you, not just a smattering. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, it is important for us to also know that every follower of Christ, regardless of who you are, regardless of how long you have been walking with Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. It's not that Billy Graham got an extra dose that God did not give you. It's not that the saints that are found in the New Testament got something additional to what you got, but rather we find that great Christians are not people who have been given additional blessings by God. Great Christians are people who learn to trust and appropriate the blessings that every Christian has in Christ. So our question last week as what has been placed in our spiritual account in Christ. And I gave you one word, but that one word was enough for us to say grace over this last week. That one word was election. And we talked about the fact that the word election, it's spoken of in the section, although the word itself is not mentioned, the idea of election is throughout the section. We find that the heart of the doctrine of election is simply salvation is from the Lord. We also find in this text, it says God chose us, verse four, predestined us, Verse 5, gave us grace. Verse 6, forgave our sins. Verse 7, lavished his grace. Verse number 8, made known his will. Verse number 9, purposed all things. Verse 9, included us. Verse 13, and marked us with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, salvation is God's work from beginning to end. So when a Christian understands 
that God has chosen them, not by merit, not by intellect, not on the basis of our ability, but rather for the pleasure of his goodwill, it changes the way we see this relationship with God. It, one, should humble us. That was one of the most wonderful pieces after last week's message when people came up to me afterwards and they said, if you really think about it, the fact that God chose any of us should astound us. And that the next statement that this one person said is, I feel humbled with the thought that God would do it. That is exactly what election is supposed to do. It is to remind us there's nothing we brought. In fact, the only thing we brought to the occasion was the depravity that made salvation needed. Amen. All right, so here's the thing. Now what else do we have in our spiritual account? Our next word is adoption. It says in verse number five, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Uh, adoption refers to becoming God's sons and daughters with all of the privileges that come with that. Prior to a person having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are God's creation. After a person is now having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are also God's children. Sometimes you'll hear it, especially in the media, they'll talk about, we're all God's children. No, we're not, according to Scripture. According to the Word of God, a child of God is someone who has repented of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. So Ephesians 2.3 goes on to tell us what we were children of prior to this moment. It says, we were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. But listen to the very next verse, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. I love the fact that God did not just have pity on us, God did not just let us come hang out at our, his house because he felt sorry for us. He, he's not just tossing us a blessing or two along the way. Rather, God has elected us. God has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has brought us into his house. He has seated us at his table, and he gives us the rights and the privileges that come with being a part of the family of God. That is why adoption is so important. Now, verse number five, if you'll notice, it doesn't focus as much on children as it does on sons. And there's a reason for that. The word children has to do with our membership into God's family. We became children by virtue of the new birth. We were born again into the family of God. The word sons has to do with our maturity in the family. It refers to our position that we occupy as adult, mature sons in the, the family of God. So think of it like this. Uh, sometimes you will see a family business, and it might say something like this. John Lewis and Sons. Okay, the, the title itself helps us understand that somehow John Lewis's sons have now become partners within the business. They have been given a responsibility they are mature enough to work a job. They are partners together with their father somehow in that particular business. So you do not find signs that say John Lewis and kids, John Lewis and children. 
It's John Lewis and sons. There is a maturity aspect that is implied by this. Why would I bring that up? Because the moment you and I entered the family of God, he now initiates us into the family business. You might wonder, what's the family business? Well, Jesus tells us over in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, he talked about us being involved in the Father's business. What is this business that we find according to Scripture? The family business is that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. The moment you entered the family, you are being groomed to be a part of the business. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 is one of our passages we love to quote. We like to start with verse 17, but we don't normally go past verse number 17. So it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Man, we love that verse. We quote it, we put it on little plaques, we stick it in our offices. We love that verse. We just don't keep reading the next part of that verse. It goes on to say, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, you and I are now called into the family business. So what does that look like? It is that, goes on in the passage, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through God we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's a snapshot of what it looks like for us to be in the family business, being abused by God, reconciling a sinful world to Christ. So as Christians, we're in the business of sharing the gospel so that those who are afar from God can be brought near, reconciled through what Jesus has done for them. That's the family business. Now, how does adoption affect anything of how a person lives each day? When we understand adoption, it reminds us we have been fully accepted into the family of God. Not partially, fully accepted into the family of God. It reminds us that the Father has us involved in his business. It reminds us that we've been placed out here with a mission. A part of that mission is that he has designed it and desires for us to mature and to be a part of what he is doing around the world. It reminds us that everything that the Father has is ours in Christ, according to what we find in this text. It also reminds us that the focus of our lives is not on the temporal things, it's on the eternal things. Our adoption in God's family, it brings confidence, security, love, purpose, partnership, community, and the list could go on and on from there. Why would that even matter? Think of it from the perspective of our children. You show me a child who knows that they are loved, that they are cared for, that they are valued, and that they are appreciated in the family. And I will show you a child that is secure in that family. You show me a child who feels like they have to earn their parents' love. They will walk in insecurity for all their life. Show me a child who feels as though their, their parents tolerate them. 
Not necessarily love them, but they're not a welcome addition to the home. Sometimes kids are made to feel like they're a burden on the home. You show me that child, and I will show you one who is going to struggle with their self-worth. They're going to struggle with their identity. They're going to struggle to feel as though they're ever connected into that particular home. But when you and I recognize that we have been adopted into the family of God, we are fully accepted. We are fully loved. His love for us is unconditional. He didn't just dole out a few blessings. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are partners to, with him in the ministry of reconciliation when we understand that there is a security that comes with it listen to this until we understand our standing in Christ we're not going to do a lot of standing you need to know who you are in Christ and what we have in Christ churches are filled with Christians who feel like their heavenly father tolerates them they feel like everything they do that is wrong he is just waiting on the edge of his seat in order to punish them. When people have that viewpoint of God, it's hard for them to ever rest in the presence of God, simply abide in Christ, and ever feel as though they don't have to perform in order to be accepted. Understanding adoption helps us see you don't have to perform. You have been accepted into the family of God. Here's our next word. It's redemption. It says in verse number seven, in him we have redemption through his blood. Uh, redemption is a word that is used to pay a ransom, uh, usually to release a person from bondage, especially that of slavery. In the Old Testament, there were two different types of redemption that are mentioned. One of those is redemption by power, the other is redemption by purchase. If you want an example of both, the book of Exodus illustrates redemption by power. That is, God pulls his people out by power and might. We also see that the book of Ruth illustrates redemption by purchase. Boaz is introduced as a man as mighty in wealth in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. In the story, he married Ruth, becoming what's referred to as a kinsman redeemer. And he pulled her out of what would be certain life of poverty. In both of those examples, you would find that redemption is costly. It's either redemption by power or redemption by purpose or by purchase. In the New Testament, there's also a context for this. During the time the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, there would have been upwards of around 6 million slaves that were regularly being traded and sold within the Roman Empire. Buying and selling slaves was simply a major business of that time. And there were three primary ways that somebody would become a slave. First, they could be born a slave. That is, a child of a slave was automatically a slave. They were born into a life of slavery. Then they could become a slave by conquest. That is, if there was one city or one nation that was at war with another one, and whoever the victor might be, it might often be that they would enslave the people that they had overcome. That was another way that people entered into slavery. And then a person could become a slave by their inability to pay a debt. They had a debt, they couldn't pay the debt, and as a way of paying that debt, they were enslaved to whoever it is that they owed. So let's say you had a family member who was made a slave maybe by conquest and you were wanting to free that family member 
The legal process that that person would go through would be to purchase the individual as a slave for self and then grant them their freedom. That would be the process they would walk through. A legal document was written up. It was referred to as Latro. It was written as a testimony of deliverance. That word Latro is one of the three words found in the New Testament for redemption. Now I want you to connect that idea back to yourself and to me. Jesus says in John chapter 8 verse 34, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, every single person who has walked on the face of this planet apart from Jesus Christ has sinned. Therefore, every single person has now come under bondage to sin. Romans chapter 7 verse 14 goes as far as to say that we are sold into bondage in sin. So sin is the slave owner over those who sin. We're not talking about a physical slavery here. We're talking about a spiritual slavery. Now, because of that, each of those three New Testament examples is now applicable for you and I. For example, we were born into sin. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We are conquered by sin. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says, For whoever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So as sin is a part of a person's life, we are conquered. We are enslaved by that sin. And also, we are slaves of sin through unpaid debt. You and I could not pay off our sin debt. In fact, according to Scripture, not only have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it tells us the wages of sin is death. What we have earned for what we've done has been death, separation from God. The reason this is important is because as a slave to sin, by birth, by conquest, and by unpaid debts, there was nothing you and I could do to be free. Nothing. We needed someone outside of the realm of enslavement to sin to love us enough to purchase us back and then set us free. You know who that is, don't you? Yes. Listen, the beauty of how Scripture is written out is that Jesus alone is the one who would do that. So when he comes and he says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. How did that happen? It's because he paid our sin debt. He purchased us back from the slave market of sin. He loved us so much that he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. But he didn't bring us in to keep us in bondage to sin or to something else. But rather he brought us in and he has now set us free. What a wonderful concept we find in Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Only Jesus could pay our sin debt. Your parents could not pay your sin debt. They were under the curse of sin too. Billy Graham, great evangelist, he did not pay your sin debts. He too was under the curse of sin like everyone else who has walked the face of the earth apart from Jesus. Only 
Jesus could redeem us. So that's why when you sing a song like, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. All praise has to always go back to Jesus. So how does understanding redemption become a practical blessing in our spiritual bank account? Think of it like this. As a Christian, you're free. Sin is not a master over you any longer. Your addiction does not have the final say in your life. As long as we think that we are powerless over the grip of sin, we will remain defeated in our practical lives. Until a Christian understands what God has done for them, they are many times fighting a battle that he has already fought and won at the cross. You and I do not need to beg God for this freedom. We need to thank him for what we have and ask God, would you live your freedom through me? That's why understanding what's in the account is so important. Listen to the way Scripture so clearly describes the fact sin is not dominant over us. It says in Romans, oh, by the way, Romans 6, this is like a heyday for all of this. All of these are coming out of Romans 6. Romans 6, 11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.14, for sin shall not be a master over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6.17 and 18, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you have been freed from sin. Romans 6.22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. We now see three pieces that are in our spiritual bank accounts. We have election, we have adoption, we have redemption. Here's number four. We have forgiveness of sins. In verse number seven, second part, it says the forgiveness of our trespasses. The word redemption, it means being freed from sin's power. Sin no longer rules over us. Forgiveness means that God has wiped the slate clean so that our failures no longer define us. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's far he has removed our sins from us. We talk about Jesus paid it all. He did. He wiped the slate clean. I love the fact that when you study the scriptures, you're going to see that God is not asking people to live the rest of their life doing good things to offset the bad things of their past. He's not saying that I want you to work this off now since I went ahead and paid the price up front. But rather, he has paid the price and he has wiped the slate clean. There's nothing that you and I can do in order to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ. When we entered a relationship with God through Christ, our sin debt was forgiven, past, present, and future. That does not mean that we are going to be perfect after the point of salvation. It doesn't mean that we're not going to face some of the consequences that have come from sinning and living with that sin nature. It simply means that God has forgiven our sin debt at the, Christ, at the cross, and it has been applied to us personally at the moment of salvation. Now, here's a question for you. Do you know why it is that many Christians struggle to ever gain traction in their Christian life? Do you know why many Christians never seem to have joy? 
why many Christians never seem to be content with what God has done. Do you know why it is that so many Christians struggle to have even an ounce of enthusiasm for what it is that God has done in their life? Here's the answer. God forgave them fully at the moment of salvation. But listen, they are unwilling to let go of the failures and regrets of the past. They're unwilling to let go. Now, what I am not talking about, what I am not talking about, what I am not talking about is somebody forgiving themselves. That is unbiblical. What I am talking about is somebody recognizing that Jesus has paid the sin debt. And as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, he has not already apprehended this, but he says the fact that he is going to look forward. He is going to press on, not looking behind, but towards what Christ has ahead. Somebody who understands that they have been forgiven, they're not trying to hold on to all of those pieces. Now, that doesn't mean that it is not difficult sometimes. It doesn't mean that the enemy will not remind you of every problem, every sin, every stupid decision you've ever made prior to Christ. And quite honestly, even after Christ. That's going to happen. But this is where believers have to learn to think with the mind that Christ gave them. They have to see themselves clearly through the lens of Scripture. When a person understands what God has done for them, when they begin to renew their mind in truth, they have the ability to walk in freedom. So what does that look like? I brought a couple of props with me. Some people thought that I was moving out today because I brought a bunch of luggage up here, but I think this will make sense in just a moment. So I'm gonna grab some of my luggage over here. This is in case things really go bad tonight and I gotta head out of town fast. So anyway, I'm gonna bring up some of my luggage. This is what people do when it comes to the sins that are in their life. Over the course of time, the regrets that they have and mistakes, they start to load it on piece by piece. Sometimes they try to dress it up and make it look pretty. That, that looks nicer if it's got some watermelons on it than other types of sin and baggage. So they add them one of those. And sometimes they get so used to their identity of what happened in their former sin life that they cozy up with it like a sleeping bag. They, they sit in it every night. They meditate on what's happened. They, they have these regrets that are going on, and they just kind of put it on like a warm blanket every single night and sit in it because that's where their identity is at. So they load a little bit of that in, and then they got the big mistakes Big problems, and they see them. They are there. They're hauling this thing around with them day after day. But because they don't deal with it, it duplicates itself, and now you got a little pile of mistakes that's on the side. And people begin to walk like this. Day after day, baggage after baggage, they pick up regrets here. What happened back in college that I did that I don't want to tell anybody about? I'm going to load it in this one right here. What did I do in a first marriage that is not redemptive? I, I, I'm going to put it over in this 
bag on this side. All of these things, we, we hold on to regrets. We hold on to pain. We hold on to the problems. It weighs us down. It's overwhelming. It's dropping off. We take the same things back into our family, and we wonder why we're a wrecking ball in our family. Then we take them with us to work, and we don't understand why people don't like our baggage when it comes because we start ruining more relationships at work. We bring the same ones right back into worship and we say, God, I'm going to ask you if you would just take that one from me. All right, God, you didn't do it, so I'm going to take it right back up and we haul it back home with us again. That is why it is important for believers to recognize what God has done. Listen, God elected you not on the basis of merit or on intellect or ability. It has never been about your performance. God has adopted you. Stop acting like you don't have a family. You got a family in God. God has redeemed you. He broke sin's power over your life to set you free. God has forgiven you. Your sin debt has been paid in full. So listen, you can drop the junk. And walk in freedom in Christ. You're free in Christ. Now when you enter worship, you can say, God, thank you for my freedom. Instead of bringing up all the problems again and again and letting the enemy attack you over and over and over for the same things. Listen, don't let the enemy rob you of another day of walking around with what Jesus has died to let free from your life. You're free. Somebody might say, but Paul, I don't feel free. Hey, there's days I don't feel loved, but he tells me I'm loved. There's days I don't feel holy, and yet he says I'm holy. There's days I don't feel comforted, and yet he has promised to comfort me. There are days when I don't feel joy or feel peace or feel purpose, but none of that goes against what he has said. Do not put a question mark where God has placed a period. This message tonight is for two different groups of people. It's for those who are not Christians and they are walking with regrets, and they're walking with failure, and they're walking with sin, and they just want to get rid of the bags. Let me tell you, Jesus can free you up. He will redeem you. He will save you. He forgives the sin debts. And there's others who are believers, and you've walked with the stuff a long time, and you don't know how to be free. Tell him that. Say, God, I don't know what that looks like right now, but I want to live that right now. It's going to require that we believe what he has declared. We cannot base it on our feelings. We might not feel it, but that's where you got to come back and say, but your word says, and that's what I'm going to trust in. I don't know where you might be today. It might be that you've been walking with stuff for a long time. All I can say is, don't walk out the room with it tonight. Leave it with Christ. So I'm going to have a word of prayer after the service. I'm going to be down front. Some of our pastors will be down front. If you need somebody to pray with you, if you want to talk to someone, we'll be here and available. 
But I just want to pray over the group tonight. Heavenly Father, God, we recognize that there is so much that the enemy tries to continue to attack with. That God, unless you give us eyes to see truth and you free us up with this, Lord, we just keep walking with the baggage. God, help us to see that not only have you redeemed us, broken sin's power in our life, but God, you have forgiven us. And with that, the slate has been wiped clean. God, give those who are watching, those who are in the room, the courage they need to just simply say, God, I need your help in this. I don't, I don't know how to be free any other way than what Scripture says. So, Lord, would you do a work in that tonight? As heads are still bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment there. There might be people in the room right now that they just say, Paul, would you take a minute and just pray specifically for me? And if so, wherever you might be, I don't know what you're dealing with, just raise your hand wherever you might be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Archie may put them down. Heavenly Father, for the hands that were just raised, God, I'm asking that you would meet them in such a personal way that there is no doubt in their mind whatsoever that you have been the one to intervene. You've been the one to step in. You've been the one to bless and to free. God, would you do a full redemptive work in the hearts of your people. God, as we pray sometimes for revival, these are the types of things that get in the way of it. They don't seem big in the moment, but they just keep weighing us down that we cannot run the race effectively. Lord, may you continue to do your work. And we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you all for being here tonight. Just know we got a little bit more that's still in our spiritual bank account that we're going to get to. But also know next Sunday night, we're going to have a night of worship. And I cannot encourage you enough to come for a night of worship. There are certain times that we need the word of God proclaimed to us. And there are certain times we need the word of God sung over our hearts and our minds. There's times that worship is simply the deepest cries of our heart that have been put to music. It's good to have those times to pull away and say, God, meet with me at this time. It's going to be a good week. God bless you all. Have a wonderful night. We'll see you this next week.